Welcome to the Once Was Lost podcast. We are the partner of podcast to the OWL Once Was Lost Missing Persons phone app, which you can get at owl-oncewaslost.com. And you could uh, also subscribe to the podcast there, as well as obviously getting the free app that everybody should have on their phone at all times in case something goes wrong, somebody in the family goes missing, your child goes missing, an elderly adult. Um, this kind of thing happens quite often, a lot more than people understand. We're going to be talking about the disappearance of Christy Joe Nichols. And of course, we get these stories from storiesoftheunsolved.com. It's an incredible repository of true crime cases, um, which include missing persons, murdered cases, as well as um, cases that have been solved. So it's well-rounded. There's quite a bit of information there. So let's just get into this uh, missing persons case. This is, again, Christy Jo Nichols. She was born on September 6, 1965 in Overton, Dawson County, Nebraska, to Connie Stanley and Ken Williams. While she was young, her parents divorced, with Connie later marrying a man named Greg Stanley. And as a result, her family, which already included two siblings, grew to include three stepbrothers. Growing up, Christy was very shy and quiet, and she placed a great deal of importance on the concept of family and dreamed of one day becoming a mother. In 1983, she graduated from Overton High School. She later attended a semester at college, but found it wasn't for her, so she decided to drop out. During her late teens, Christy moved to Gothenburg, Nebraska to leave with her paternal grandmother, Violet Williams, as she no longer wanted to follow the rules set in place by her mother and stepfather. The move brought her to a town located within the heart of Nebraska's farm belt, which had within it a strong sense of community. And upon moving to Gothenburg, Christy met Mark Nichols, the man she would eventually become her husband. And when they married in 1983, Christy was just 19 years old. And the pair soon became the parents of two young children, Lindsay, who was born in December of 1984, and Preston, who was born in April of 86. According to those that know her, Christy was known for being a dedicated mother whose life revolved around Mark and her children. However, that didn't stop rumors spreading, which stated that the pair were having trouble. Connie was aware that something wasn't quite right in regards to her daughter's marriage, but she would later state that she hadn't realized just how bad it was. And Mark's uncle, who owned the bar where Christy worked part-time, could sense the stress between the couple. In 1987, the pair's marital problems began to escalate as Mark was allegedly physically abusive towards Christy, and rumors began in regards to his abusive tendencies. But Mark denied all accusations, claiming Christy was the instigator and any injuries she suffered were the result of him protecting himself from her. Christy was very open with her family regarding Mark's behavior and had confided that she wanted to leave her husband but wasn't sure how. She told Connie about him monitoring her phone calls. And her cousin, Deborah Fredrickson, would later reveal that Christy had shown her a bruise on her side, which she had said was the result of Mark hitting her. Deborah also shared that her cousin had told her that Mark had held her up against, her, up against a wall while choking her and stabbing the wall directly behind her, all while Lindsay was in the room. Ten days before her disappearance, Christy went to the emergency room for injuries allegedly caused by Mark. According to Mark, the pair had gotten into an argument after he'd asked her to stay home for the night, which resulted in Christy hitting and kicking him and burning his neck with a lit cigarette. 
After this, he tossed her onto the waterbed in self-defense as she landed on her hand, injuring her thumb. The doctor on duty, Dr. Carol Shackleton, saw her and now noted how scarred she seemed to be and how scared she was of Mark speaking low and refusing to make eye contact as he was just outside the door. This was not the first time that Christie had seen Dr. Shackleton. As a result of this abuse, Christie began seeing an abuse counselor, which upset her husband. He threatened that she'd never see the children again if she kept making appointments and made her promise to never go back. However, she refused to listen and continued to see the counselor. On December 9th of 1987, Christie visited divorce attorney Claude Bruckman at his office in Cozad, Nebraska, approximately 10 miles outside of Gothenburg. According to Christie, she was afraid of Mark finding out, hence the reason why she decided to see an out-of-town lawyer. Due to the couple's deteriorating marriage, she wanted to divorce Mark and fully gain custody of the children. However, she was worried about disporting herself as she didn't have any money of her own, and Breckman noted that she seemed stressed and appeared to have been recently beaten, so the pair planned to contact the authorities and press charges against Mark for abuse. He also suggested Christy not return home and instead stay with her mother, but she refused. Before she left Breckman's office, she made a follow-up appointment, at which time they had planned to move forward with the divorce proceedings. At this point, Breckman contacted the Gothenburg Police Department to report Mark's abuse. It's believed that the then police chief, who was friends with Christie's husband, had informed Mark of her visit to the divorce lawyer. When Christie went to his parents' house, as they were babysitting the children, they refused to hand them back to their mother. Calls to the police department were of no help as the police chief told her Mark was in his right to withhold the children and that she risked arrest if she didn't leave the property. This is reportedly one of three times the chief had harassed Christie that day. The first had been while she was at a local Jack and Jill convenience store, while the second occurred in the middle of the street where he told her she needed to get her act together. Later that day, Christie made another visit to the, the abuse counselor. On December 10th of 1987, the couple went Christmas shopping with Lindsay and Preston. The trip had also involved a visit with Santa Claus and a dinner at Pizza Hut. According to Mark, he sensed a lot of anger coming from his wife. Once they completed their shopping, he and Christy left with the kids with a babysitter, Diane Jansen, and went to Pete's Place, the bar where Christy worked. Diane had babysat for the couple numerous times and was surprised to see them going out, given she knew they weren't getting along. Just after 12 a.m. on December 11th of 1987, Mark and Christy left the bar and stopped at an all-night convenience store. According to Mark, the pair had a good time that night and between 12.30 a.m. and 1 a.m., Mark came home. Diane had been doing her homework in front of the television at the time. The pair spent between 5 and 10 minutes speaking, and Mark paid her in cash. This struck Diane as odd, as Christy was normally the one to pay her for her services, and it was normally done with a check. When she was later spoken to by investigators, she would say she never saw nor heard Christy enter the house. However, Mark would claim his wife had been 5 or 6 yards ahead of him, and had gone straight upstairs to see the children before heading to the main bathroom, which is why Diane didn't see her. At 2 a.m., Mark went to bed. This would be the last time he claims he saw Christy. The children woke Mark up around 7 a.m. When he went to turn to Christy, he noticed that she wasn't in the bed, and a subsequent search of the house revealed that she was gone and that a suitcase was missing. Despite being alarmed at his wife's sudden disappearance, Mark acted calm when her mother called around 9.30 a.m. that morning, saying Christy was still asleep in bed. 
According to Mark, he did this so as not to worry Connie. At 11.30 a.m., Mark dropped the children off at Violet's house and asked her to watch them while he looked for Christy. While he didn't directly tell her of the disappearance, he did appear shaken and asked if Christy's grandmother had seen her. After this, he claims to have spent approximately two hours driving around Gothenburg looking for his wife. However, there are no witnesses to corroborate this. At 1.37 p.m., Mark filed the missing persons report with the Gothenburg Police Department. At the time of Christie's disappearance, Connie was living 100 miles away in Lodgepole, Nebraska. The Gothenburg Police Department initially handled the case but were soon joined by the Nebraska State Patrol and the Dawson County Sheriff's Office. On December 12th of 87, Mark moved out of the couple's home. A few days later, he packed up the family's belongings and sold both their cars. According to Connie, Mark forged Christie's signature on the titles in order to sell them. When he spoke with police, Mark told them that Christie had only taken a purse and suitcase with her, and curiously, he was able to tell them exactly what she'd taken with her, which struck them as odd, and according to Mark, the suitcase contained a pair of jeans, a sweatshirt, a bra and jacket, and while the purse held a hairbrush, a pen, a lighter, and a matchbook, lipstick, a tub of Neutrogena cream, and a nail file, a mirror, and one piece of gum. That's pretty exact, uh, folks. A search of the house revealed that Christie had left behind the majority of her belongings, including diamond jewelry and her driver's license. She also picked up her last paycheck from the bar. Also, she never picked up her paycheck from the bar. Towards the end of 1987, Mark took a polygraph test, but the results are said to have been inconclusive. Trace amounts of Christie's blood were found on the floor in the bedroom and in the trunk of Mark's 1977 Mercury Cougar, but there wasn't enough to indicate that she was deceased. While Mark tried to tell them it was menstrual blood, later DNA analysis would prove this statement to be false. Police believe she was seen with another man at the time of her disappearance. A note was found in her car where she had written that she would be leaving after Christmas, but had promised to contact the unnamed man within a few months. Mark was seemingly aware of this and had suggested to authorities that she'd run off with him. He was interviewed by police and has been ruled out as a suspect. Christie's disappearance received very little media attention as police suspected she was a runaway wife as opposed to a victim of foul play. As such, her family spearheaded the search for her, distributing posters and asking people to call in with any information as to her whereabouts. They also hired a private detective named Dennis Whelan, who was given access to Christie and Mark's home where he uncovered blood under the laundry basket in the bedroom. Despite thorough searches of the area in and around Gothenburg, no trace of Christie was found. In March 1988, Christie's suitcase and purse were located, with everything still in them, at a rest stop on I-80 near Maxwell, Nebraska. The location is approximately 30 miles from Gothenburg. Police shared that it looked like the items had been deliberately placed as opposed to thrown from a vehicle, and it appeared to them that whoever had previously had the items had wanted them to get found. Rumors began to spread about what Mark had done to Christie, including one that said that he'd dismembered her, placed her body in plastic bags, and buried her at a local landfill. Townspeople also speculated that she was buried in the local railroad overpass or entombed in one of the various construction projects that were occurring at the time. In the mid-2000s, the case was one that the Nebraska State Patrol worked on with the help of a $250,000 grant. Christie's aunt, Joanne Niss, moved to Omaha, Nebraska from North Platte, Nebraska to work with Wayland. 
She would later become a private investigator herself in order to follow up on leads related to the case. Christie's father, Ken, says he can't say for sure if his daughter is dead as there's no evidence of foul play nor any witness of who saw anything suspicious. The case has been included in a deck of playing cards that featured photographs of unsolved homicide victims which were distributed to prisons and jails throughout Nebraska. The hope was that it would help produce leads that could help resolve Christie's disappearance. Attempts over the years to get investigators to open a grand jury investigation have been turned down due to lack of evidence in the case. And on January 3rd, 2020, the case saw renewed interest after the Nebraska State Patrol released a press release. While Christie's case has since stalled, it remains open with the patrol's cold case unit having worked on it on and off throughout the years. It's currently being investigated as a probable homicide. Christie's DNA is available for comparison should a body be found, but her dentals and fingerprints are not on file. Her family has shared their criticism over the way the investigation has been handled, saying they feel it could have been solved if police had taken it more seriously from the beginning. Currently, Mark is the only suspect in the case. However, he has never been charged. So there's a few theories here. One is that the primary and really only theory in the case that has any substance here and one both investigators and Christie's family hold is that she met with foul play, likely at the hands of Mark Nichols. This due to Mark's behavior in the days after her disappearance, moving out of the family's home, selling the family's vehicles, as well as him being able to name everything she'd supposedly taken with her. There's also his history of abuse, which is said to have been pr- present before his marriage to Christie. Christie's family does not believe she would voluntarily leave on her own, given how much she loved her children, and Connie believes Mark beat her and the daughter to death before disposing of her body. So, the case was featured on episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, which prompted 150 calls to show to the show's telecenter and 15 more to the Nebraska State Patrol. However, they didn't produce anything. Connie got temporary temporary custody of Lindsay and Preston after her daughter went missing, but a judge placed them in foster care after four months. They were later returned to Mark, and Connie said she hardly got to see them due to his influence. Lindsay now lives in Georgia, while Preston works in Lexington. In 1990, Mark filed for divorce on the grounds that Christie had deserted him and the kids. He currently lives in Arkansas with his third wife. Ken initially lived in Colorado after divorcing Connie, but later moved to Gothenburg after Christie's disappearance in order to be closer to the investigation. And in 2013, Claude Breckman passed away at the age of 80 years old. Christy Jo Nichols went missing from Gothenburg, Dawson County, Nebraska, on December 11, 1987. She was 22 years old and is believed to have been wearing a pair of blue jeans and hiking boots. At the time of her disappearance, she stood at five foot nine and weighed approximately 120 pounds. She has brown hair and green eyes and has a scar above her left eye and on her abdomen. Her ears are pierced. Currently, the case is classified as a homicide and foul play is suspected. If alive, she would be 54 years old. Those with information regarding the case are asked to contact the North Platte office of the Nebraska State Patrol at 308-535-8047. Tips can also be called into the patrol's general number at 402-479-4049 
or the Nebraska Missing Persons Information Clearinghouse at 877-441-5678. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, If anybody would like to help us out and as well as the phone app, it's really, again, it's one of the only ones of its kind that can really help in searches for the missing in real time. As immediately as somebody goes missing, information could be uploaded to the app and people can be searching in that area. If you'd like to help with Patreon, you can do it at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash once was lost. So it's very easy. Patreon.com slash once was lost. We have a $3 tier. That's the one we really ask for people's support with. If we had enough people supporting at that level, we would be in good shape as far as that app. We would have so many more uh, detailed information and uh, abilities in order to find the missing uh, on that app. So anyways, like I said, that'll do it for this case. We'll see you in a little bit. Thank you.